Dad the Man, the guy who's living life the right way by loving and leading his family. World class at his craft and admired by many, but more importantly, he sets the tone for what a great man, husband, and father looks like. That's who Dad the Man is. And the truth is, as men, husbands, and fathers, we experience and struggle with so many of the same things. And it's time we recognize that we're all in this together. So drop your ego at the door and join us in the conversation. Welcome to Dad the Man. What's up, everybody? My name is Brendan Wall. I am the founder and host of the Dad the Man podcast. Today's episode is a special one for me. This represents the first interview that I've ever done. So if I sound a little bit nervous, bear with me. But overall, I think it went really well. Today's guest is none other than my good friend, Colin Crane. Colin played college hoops at Carson Newman University. After school, he became an intern and then assistant strength and conditioning coach at the University of Florida. He then moved up and became a head strength and conditioning coach for the men's hoops team at Missouri State and then UT Chattanooga. From there, he transitioned into his current role where he now serves as the head strength and conditioning coach for the men's hoops team at Mississippi State, where he's been for the past four seasons and heading into season number five. Now, when you listen to Colin speak, you, you'll be able to tell that he takes an exceptional amount of pride in everything that he does, and it's evidenced by the level of success that he's achieved at such a young age. He's a hoop nut and a true coach at heart. His humility, confidence, and obsession for preparation commands a genuine respect from others. And it's no mystery that his players love playing for him and that he has success wherever he goes. But above it all, he's an incredible man, husband, and father. And I'm lucky to call him a friend. So here's my conversation with the Colin Crane. All right, and we are recording. Uh, now, Colin, before I let you jump in here uh, today, uh, I just want to give you some props. Um, you know, in starting this show, thinking about, um, you know, what, where I wanted to go with this, who I wanted to come on, I had to think about what uh, Dad the Man really represented. And that's, that's, that's guys that are really loving and leading their families, guys that are stepping up to the plate, uh, recognizing that doing those things um, is really an opportunity and not an obligation. They do it with, with pride and joy. And they also, um, you know, they're, they're also kicking ass and uh, going after chasing their personal and professional dreams and goals as well. And, uh, and you were the first person that came to mind. So I'm, uh, I'm absolutely pumped to have you on. Um, so with all that being said, welcome to the show, brother. Yeah, appreciate you having me. Yeah. Um, so to get things started, we'll go through a little bit of a lightning round, a little bit, you know, lighter hearted questions. We'll get the blood flow and we'll get things moving. And then uh, we'll dive in a little bit deeper after that. So right. question number one, you're a health and fitness freak. But what is your favorite cheat meal? Favorite cheat meal? Um, it's got to be probably pizza, which fits in our routine about once a week right now. It's, a, it's an easy meal when you've got kids. Um, find the best pizza spot in town here in Starkville, Mississippi. And uh, that's our, our weekend cheat meal. Nice. There we go. All right. So question number two. Um, I know you're not a big drinker, but if you're going to have a cocktail, what's your go-to drink of choice? You know, man, I really, I, I like IPA beers right now. So I don't know, you know as far as a mixed drink, I, I'm, I'm not sure I've uh, kind of ventured off and, and tried Matthew McConaughey's bourbon. So that, oh. that's, that's high on the list right now. I'd highly recommend it. Um, I have to along, give that one a shot. Along with some good uh, Southern IPAs. 
There we go. I like it. Now, if you could share uh, share one of those Southern IPAs with, with anybody in the world, living or dead, uh, who who would you share that uh, that IPA with? Um, you don't have to say me. You know, I'd probably say uh, I'd probably say my my grandfather, my mom's dad. Um, he passed away when I was younger. Before you know, we could have some of those you know grown up man to man type of conversations. He was a really interesting interesting guy um was actually you know in the rodeo uh, he was a cowboy retired as a farmer um so he just kind of did a lot of these cool things in his life that would probably be a pretty good conversation to have over a beer yeah awesome awesome um let's see give me a go-to pump-up song for the gym um man you know this, this is a tough question for me because i'm more of like i probably won't listen to music while i'm in the gym um you know, when, I, when I'm here at work and I, I do have the opportunity to train, a lot of times it's, it's either dead silent and I'm, I'm trying to gather my thoughts for upcoming meetings or, or organizing some thoughts for upcoming training sessions um, or, you know, even listening to a podcast. Um, hopefully down the road, I'll be listening to this podcast when I'm working out. There we go. Kind of trying to multitask while I train. So this is more of like a like an active meditation for you. Absolutely. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. I like that. Um, what is your least favorite lift to do in the gym? If you have one, you look like you might enjoy all of them. Yeah. Right. Right now. Um, least favorite lift. We got to throw uh, cardio in there as a least <laughs> lift. Yeah. I'll, I'll do anything in the weight room right now. Um, but I grew up running track, running cross country. Um, so I think I've kind of had enough of the, uh, the running at this point. So that's, that's going to fall under my least favorite lift. There we go. That's a good answer. Mine, mine would either be, it's a toss up between cardio and pull-ups. I've always been yeah. the, uh, the big bone boy. So pull-ups have always been my, my worst enemy. Um, any books that you would recommend for, for the men, husbands and fathers out there, Does anything come to mind for a book recommendation or a podcast recommendation even? Yeah. You know, I, I really like books, um, written by Simon Sinek. Um, start with why, uh, leaders eat last. And then his most recent book is, uh, the infinite game. And so I think, um, I think all his books kind of focus on the premise of, of purpose and finding a deeper meaning. Um, he talks a lot about how, um, men or, or, or women can get burnt out with their, their jobs, their current roles as husbands and wives and mothers and fathers. And I think he, he kind of, uh, gives you more of a, like a roadmap for how not to get burnt out, how to find your purpose um, in the little things in life and, and, and enjoy those things. Very cool. Yeah. Simon, Simon's a monster. He's uh, he's, he's everywhere. I know he's an incredible author and people talk about him all over the place. So that's a great recommendation. Um, give me something off your bucket list right now. Bucket list. Um, yeah, just to go deep on you real quick, right? Yeah, off the your, bat. your bucket list kind of changes a little <laughs> yeah. bit whenever you have kids and you're like, well, I probably shouldn't be jumping out of airplanes doing sky. <laughs> um, they kind of need me around. So I'd like to yeah. not take yeah. those types of risks. Um, yeah. <laughs> but maybe, maybe bucket list. Uh, you know, I haven't really been out West a whole lot. Um, I've been out to uh, California a couple of times for, for basketball tournaments and things like that, but I'd really like to go out West and spend some time, you know, in those, uh, national parks and just kind of camp and just see the, uh, you know, see what the West has, has to offer. You know, we get so tunnel vision into our, our current 
um, lifestyle and in our geographical areas. I think we forget that, you know, you don't have to go very far to see some beautiful things in the United States. No doubt. No doubt. Great answer. Um, so, all right. So on this one, I'm going to set the scene for you. And if I misrepresented any of these facts and circumstances, let me know. Uh, 2020 NIT semifinals, uh, Mississippi State is down. What is it? La Tech, I believe. Um, tie game, only a couple minutes or minute left, a couple seconds left. They hit it. What would be a uh, game winning floater in the lane to go up by two, five seconds left. Mississippi State takes the ball, goes down the court. They hit the trailing inbounder right around the top of the key, puts up a shot, absolutely smashes the front of the rim, ball straight up, comes straight back down, goes in, Bulldogs win by one. Where does that moment rank in your uh, in your uh, your memory of all-time coaching moments? Yeah, so obviously it's a great experience. This has actually kind of happened twice. So we played in the NIT semifinals, um, I guess that was 2017-18. And we hit a shot at the buzzer to win at Baylor, to beat Baylor, to move on to the next round. Um, Quindary Weatherspoon hit that shot. So he plays with the San Antonio Spurs now. So to see him hit that and be a part of that moment was phenomenal. And then it happened again, you know, this year, um, we were playing Richmond uh, in the, the semifinals of the NIT. And uh, same almost had it. Yeah, same type of scenario. Um, the Baylor shot was the one that hit the rim, bounced up, rolled around for about two, three seconds, <laughs> gone off, and the shot hadn't gone in. It's rolling around and rolling around. Um, so that was that was unique. This one was a, a clean shot, swish straight through the rim, um, but really, uh, you know, ranks high up on my my list of, of coaching moments. Um, you know, just as a program, as a team, those things, those moments are great to be a part of, but then you love it for the, the players that do make those shots because, you know, to everyone watching at home on TV, it's, it's one moment, it's one shot. But, you know, I, I've seen those, those two players that made those two shots shoot thousands and thousands and thousands of shots, you know, from, from 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. before they have a lift, before they have class, before they have tutoring. Um, so just to see all their hard work, you know, come to come to fruition, that's very rewarding for, for all of us as coaches. Yeah, no doubt. I guess when you're when you're in the day in the day out and you're leading these guys and you're seeing the work they're putting in, I guess things like that are more of an expectation almost. It's just another day uh, putting in the work. So that's uh, that's really cool. Um, so now I'll ask you probably the most over asked question for all newer or younger parents with, uh, with little kids. Are you getting any sleep right now? Uh, it's. It could be better. <laughs> Sleep is one of those things. It's, it's a little more optional right now in our house. Yeah. Um, honestly, I like that optional. So we've got, you know, Carson is almost three years old and then Miller is uh, coming up on four months this next week. Um, so we're, we're expecting that four month sleep regression. Uh, oh yeah. That's a good one. For the most part, she's, she slept really well. So we, we can't complain. Awesome. Well, let's uh, I'm glad to hear it. Um, all right, so let's let's dive in a little bit, Colin. Take us back. Um, I want to dive into your childhood just a little bit. Uh, give us a, a little bit of a rundown on uh, you know where you grew up, your family dynamic, what kind of kid you were, what you were into. Um, let us uh, peek behind the curtain there into your childhood. Yeah, um, so I grew up in Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, probably a lot like you. You know, you grow up um, playing sports. Um, both my parents were very supportive of what we wanted to do. Um, 
from an athletic standpoint, um, you know, they're, they wanted to, to push us. They wanted to put us in, you know, those competitive environments that I think uh, really helped mold you as a young individual. Um, but they also, you know, what I really remember most is that when things would get hard, whether it be with sports or with school or with anything in life, um, you know, my both my parents were a driving force in like, how do you handle adversity? How do you handle change? How do you handle it when things don't go your way? And so I think my parents did a great job teaching me um, just to look at challenges as a good thing, right? So you're not always going to walk in into a, a, the basketball gym or, or a social setting and be the best at anything, right? It takes, you know, the best are the best because it takes a lot of work. And so I think my parents did a great job uh, teaching us the value of hard work. And, um, you know, kind of, obviously you, you learn a lot of lessons through sports. And I think through learning those competitive lessons, it just shapes and molds you into who you are. And then, you know, I just happened to, uh, never really let go of sports. You know, I, I played sports my entire life. Uh, was fortunate enough to play uh, college basketball at the Division II level at Carson Newman University. And then I really went into my first um, uh, assistant coaching position as a, an assistant strength coach right after that, and then into head strength and conditioning coach roles. So I've really, you know, it feels like I've been involved with, with sports my entire life. I don't remember my life without sports. That's awesome. Yeah, you, you mentioned something there, the uh, the competitive environment that your your parents, you know, encouraged you to to be a part of. And that's something I've been thinking a lot about recently with, you know, our oldest Mason is is four. And I'm thinking about him being in positions where he can fail um, and allowing him to feel that and sit in that a little bit. And then for the opportunity for me as the father, kind of teaching him how to respond to those things, kind of like you alluded to, like, I remember um, one time, you know, I wasn't a great basketball player or anything, but I remember like on the freshman team, we lost a close game because I missed a couple of free throws. And uh, it would have been really easy for, for my dad to say, oh, you know, that's okay. Like make them next time and just kind of let me off the hook a little bit. And, you know, I'm hanging my head. I'm just like distraught. Um, but I remember getting home that night and him saying, all right, well, you're complaining about this. This is clearly bothering you. What are you going to do about it? And then I just remember I'm kind of like opening up the back door, grabbing a ball and saying, like, let's go shoot free throws. And then we ended up, uh, you know, sitting up shooting free throws for the next however many hours. It felt like 12 hours after that. Um, probably it was probably like 100 more shots. But, uh, you know, just taking advantage of that opportunity to really teach me to respond to failure in a positive way, I think. Um, so, yeah, it's really cool to kind of hear you touch on that. Um, so basketball has always been a part of your life. When did uh, you realized that it was going to be a reality for you to play in, in college? Um, it was probably my, you know, it was, it was something I really focused on trying to work towards, like obviously <clears throat> in sophomore year in high school. Um, and then probably my junior year, you know, you, when you're in high school, you, you hit a growth spurt, you start developing a little bit more from a physical standpoint. Um, and around my junior year in high school, I, I knew that it was a, a possibility. I knew I still had a lot of work to do. And I also knew that I was not going to be playing at the, the power five level, the level that I get to coach at today. So I knew that that was not going to happen. Um, but I, it was around that time when I knew if I, if I committed to the work, um, committed to, you know, the process, I knew I was going to have the opportunity to play in college. 
very cool. So, you know, we know you played in college. We know that you um, are a strength coach now. And, you know, for hoop notes like us, like everybody's going to recognize some of the bigger names that, you know, with Ben Hallen now, Billy Donovan. Uh, but there's another coach that I kind of want to back up and, and talk about. And again, correct me if, if I'm wrong, but I think he came into the play, into the mix when you were being recruited to Carson Newman. Um, tell me a little bit about uh, Coach Chuck Benson and, and what he has meant to you and your life and, and the man that you've become today. Uh, Chuck Benson. So he was uh, he was my assistant basketball coach in college. Um, he was the one that recruited me to Carson Newman. Uh, he was the guy that, you know, he was coming to all my high school games. Um, he was relentless with communicating with me on a daily and weekly basis through my junior and senior years of, of high school. And uh, was really fortunate that after my freshman year of college, um, after he was my assistant coach, uh, my head coach retired. Um, Dale Clayton had been the, the head coach for 20 plus years at Carson Newman, had experienced a lot of success. And then um, Chuck Benson was named the, the head coach for my sophomore, uh, junior and senior years. And so, you know, when he took over, he was all about um, you know, as a as a program, let's find our identity. And so that meant really pushing each individual player um, and person on staff to, you know, find your identity, find your, your why, you know, kind of going back to, to the Simon Sinek, um, the title of one of his books, you know, before that book was written, there were a lot of people that were discussing like identity and, and how you have to be true to yourself, be authentic. Um, and just what are you going to be about on a daily basis? And I think Chuck Benson was one of the first uh first minute of my life to really push me right to the edge to where you feel like you're you're really not going to be successful and you feel very uncomfortable very vulnerable um but then he he kind of uh he he made it to where I was I was comfortable in that type of feeling every single day for three years straight and without a doubt um wouldn't be here coaching where I am today without him that's awesome. And the reason I ask is I've heard you speak about him before a little bit. And I, you know, it's something I encourage uh, myself and everyone else is, is to, to find mentors like that, find people that we can, um, that we can learn from and, and lean into and ask questions to. And, um, and it, it's amazing that you had somebody like that to kind of take you under their wing and, and mold you, uh, especially at that age. Um, so then if we kind of fast forward and, and go back to the household names that we were talking about, uh, Ben Howland, Billy Donovan, um, thinking about them, thinking about some of the other coaches in between. I know you've worked for, uh, you know, coached with and, and played for a lot of successful guys. Is there a common denominator that you see between all of them um, in the way that they operate, maybe their approach to uh, the way they, they handle their teams and their players? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I think everybody looks at athletics and they look at uh, successful programs in, in various sports, whether it be basketball, football, baseball, um, and they look at the, the coaching staffs and, and how they operate, you know, the, those household iconic names. And I've been really fortunate to, to work, work with, play for a couple of those, Billy Donovan and, and Ben Howland being two of them, um, as well as a, a lot of other really good coaches. And, you know, the one common theme that I see is their just their approach to the, the process. It sounds simple, um, but everybody else from the outside looking in is always thinking that there's some type of secret sauce, right? The secret formula of, oh, well, they must recruit the best or they must um, do this. And it's, 
it's just the day-to-day operations, right? And so I think it really comes down to their habits. Uh, you know, Billy Donovan was a creature of habit and was a relentless learner and, um, and a reader. And he just, he was always trying to improve himself, right? So when you're, when you're the head coach and you're constantly um, reading new material, showing your staff and your players that like, hey, I'm not a finished product either. I'm still getting better. You really have no choice um, as, an, as another member of that program to also get better. And um, one thing that, you know, I've, I've been around coach uh, Ben Howland for the last six years is uh, his attention to detail and his, uh, like, like I said, go back to the, maybe the preparation. And that could be anything from preparing for an opponent for an upcoming game with a scouting report, or just preparing for how we're going to attack, you know, off-season training, off-season skill workouts. Um, it's very organized and just very consistent. You know, in six years, I don't know that Coach Howland has had a bad day here, and uh, and hopefully he can say the same about about me. It's something that I've learned from him. Um, his, his his energy, his his drive, his attention to detail has been. Uh, you know, off the charts. And so if I can take anything from them, it's, it's almost uh, the phrase, you know, focus on the root, not the fruit. You know, those two coaches and Ben Howland, they very rarely, if ever, talked about winning, right? And so everybody's obsessed with winning. And those two very successful coaches that have won a lot of games never talk about winning. And so I think that that's very um, – that's, that's something we should all kind of take notes on is focusing on the root, not the fruit. You know, they focus on the day-to-day, the building the solid foundation, and they know that the wins are going to happen. That's awesome. And uh, one thing that stood out in, in all that that you were just explaining about Billy Donovan uh, in particular, focusing on, on improving himself, you know, kind of being that guy who's willing to, to say, Hey, I'm not a finished product. I'm going to lead from the front and I'm going to have a growth mindset and continue to learn. I think about that through the lens of being like a man, husband and father inside the, the four walls of my own home. And I think about the capacity that like, just for me, like I think about the capacity that I have. Um, if, if, if I say that I'm a finished product right now, I'm completely capping the man, husband and father that I can be. Um, so I think about the parallel there and how that lesson can translate, I mean, directly into the home and, and helping us be better husbands and fathers for our families. Is there anything else from these coaches that we're talking through? Any, any other lessons that they've taught you or things that you've picked up from them that you've applied directly into your life as a husband and father? Yeah, the short answer is all of it. You know, <laughs> we, we, we both you and I both grew up playing sports and learning those, those lessons from coaches, from mentors. And I've just, it's something that I'm exposed to on a daily basis. And, and it's been a lot of fun. It's been very rewarding to be a coach, but nothing is more important than being a great dad and a great husband to me, um, a great son, a great friend. Um, so you take, you take all these things that you learn from athletics and from being mentored um, into the home, into your family. And I think, um, you know, something we're constantly stressing with, with people in our lives, uh, my players in, in particular, is giving more than is expected. That's a, a mantra we will live by. And then how you do anything is how you do everything. And so that's one thing that, um, you know, Carson, my son, knows how to say that. How you do anything is how you do everything. And 
right now he's he's getting ready to turn three. He probably doesn't know what it means, but he can say it and he's going to see it through me every single day. And so that that's the main goal of, you know, the same way that I, you know, I would uh, teach an athlete how to pay attention to details and focus on the process and, you know, nourish the roots, not the fruit. Um, you know, that I'm going to do that same thing with, with my family. That's so cool. You're kind of, I guess, shaping his, his subconscious right now as he's, as he's growing up and then, you know, he's going to see the living example of it and um, kind of see that brought to color. And in that same vein, I'll, I'll admit, I stole a little bit of a mantra from, from you. I remember, I don't know if it was a year or two years ago, you guys were over at our house and uh, you said something that you kept saying something to Carson. You kept saying, no whining, no complaining, yeah. like repeatedly. I heard, I heard it like five times and I, I stole that after that because I've, I've been trying to teach that to my kids. And I just, I realized in that moment, I was like, I need to learn from a coach here who knows how to really lead people that if you can make it that simple, especially for a you know, three, four-year-old, break it down for him. And, uh, and, and now he knows that's, that's one of like the couple rules that we've got in our house. So I'll tell him, Hey buddy, what are the rules? And no whining, no complaining is, is on the, uh, on the short list. Um, so that's super cool. Thanks for, uh, thanks for letting me rip that off a little bit. Um, no problem, man. You, you can have it all. all- <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Uh, so let's transition a little bit. Um, and let's talk about Courtney. So if we, I guess, scale on back now, back to where we were, you're going to play ball at Carson Newman. I think this is around the time you and Courtney were introduced to each other. Uh, tell me a little bit about how you guys met. Yeah, so Courtney um, came to Carson Newman a year after I had gotten there. So my, my sophomore year and her freshman year, she was playing volleyball um, at Carson Newman. We were introduced by a mutual friend. And it's, uh, you know, it feels like yesterday. And then at the same time, obviously, we've known each other for, for 12 years now. Um, and so it's, it, it was something where we, we met each other and immediately felt a connection. Like it was just very easy to open up and talk to each other. Um, you know, just her, her, her character, her personality, her smile, uh, made her very approachable. And, uh, you know, we hung out a couple times early on, um, and it just felt like we had known each other for a long time. And so, that was, uh, obviously that's the best thing that's happened in my life. And, and we were kind of, again, brought together by, by sports in a way, you know, we were both playing sports at Carson Newman and, um, it has really, you know, shaped our lives and, and our entire family. Um, so, you know, I'm an Auburn guy, so it's going to pain me to, to quote the legendary bear Bryant, but he's got, and I'm going to read it so I don't mess it up. There ought to be a special place in heaven for coaches' wives. Talk to me a little bit about the role that that Courtney plays in your family with as busy and, and um, I guess, demanding uh, your career is with the two kids at home and everything in between. Talk to me a little bit about her role that she plays and uh, and how you support her in that. That Bear Bryant quote says it the best. <laughs> Just the, the sacrifice that that our wives make. Um, anyone in coaching understands that. Um, even anyone outside of coaching that, that sees those relationships can obviously see it. Um, there's, there's obviously we're living away from family right now, um, still within driving distance, but so there's, there's those constant challenges of, of, uh, maybe missing family events or, or maybe, you know, she can take the kids up to Tennessee and see the family, but I have to stay behind and, and work. Um, so there's those constant 
sacrifices that she makes in order to make our, our family whole, right? To make sure that our, our kids get to see their grandparents, our kids get to see their cousins, um, as well as they, you know, we develop our own identity as our own family away from home. And so if I'm traveling and on the road, you know, she's, she's a single parent for a couple of days. And that's not something that I'm definitely not proud of that, um, but it's something that has pushed her maybe a little bit outside her comfort zone and forced her to be a phenomenal uh, mother. Just a, she's so, you know, nurturing. She's, she is a great teacher. She's a teacher by heart. Um, and so, you know, it's, I'm through the roof beyond appreciative and grateful to have, you know, a partner in life that supports my professional goals right now, um, while at the same time, just being the best possible mom and the best possible wife that she can be. That's awesome. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, I wanted to ask you that question because I had an idea of, of the way you, you would answer it. And, you know, one of the things that I think we see too often today, um, and it seems to be normalized in pop culture. And, you know, I've, I've, I've been guilty of it myself is I think there's this tendency for men to say, I'm, I'm over here working, you know, I'm doing all this for the family, everything else in my wake behind me should be taken care of. Um, and that's, it's got to fall on somebody's shoulders and, and more often than not that falls on, on the wife's shoulders. So, you know, it, it's unbelievable what, you know, what Courtney does for you guys, what my wife does for our family, what all of our wives do for us. So I wanted, I wanted everybody to hear the appreciation and the, the gratitude that, uh, that really just shines through in your answer and speaking about her. Cause I think that that says it all. So thanks. Thanks for sharing that um, with us. Uh, so, so you guys are living away from family. I know it's harder to, to get people to watch the kids these days, um, which makes date night a little bit more challenging. What does a, what does a date night look like for you guys these days? Um, a date night? That looks like us on the couch eating pizza and ice cream with, with two kids. That's a, that's a date <laughs> night right there. That's us going to the movies. Good. So it's not, ju it's not just me. Right. Good, good. That, make, that makes me feel a little bit better. Um, so if you could go back in time, you guys have been married for a little while now, you got a couple kids now, um, go back, going back to the day, uh, that you're getting married. Uh, what advice would you give yourself at that point in time, knowing what you know now? Yeah, you know, it's, um, I, I remember that phase of my life very well. You know, I think there's, there's a couple phases of my life that I've just experienced just such a genuine, um, genuine like evolution and just how my my thought process is and it's it all goes back to you know my, my faith and because you have to you have to ask you know God to put yourself in the right mindset to to transition into that next area of your life so I can remember being in prayer a lot and and asking God to you know what God show me what it feels like what it means to be a great husband you know obviously when, when Courtney and I were getting married and then, you know, we're having, we're starting to have kids and, you know, God, show me what it feels like to be a great dad, be a supportive father. And so going back to, you know, when Courtney and I were, were getting married, it's just such a, you just have such a, an overwhelming feeling of, of joy that it's, it's actually happening. Um, I think for, for Courtney and I, you know, we, we had a, a great relationship, but we had a long distance relationship for a good period of time. And there were, there was a lot of challenges with that. 
there was a lot of adversity. And so there was a lot of, there's also a lot of like doubt, you know, are we ever not going to be in a long distance relationship? And neither one of us would ever admit this to each other at the time, but we just, we weren't sure what the plan for our life was at that point in time. You know, we're doing, we're living 12 hours apart, you know, four States apart at times. And it was really, really tough. So when we finally did, when I, I moved back to Chattanooga, Tennessee to, to work, um, which is a whole different story in itself of, of how blessed and fortunate we, we were. Um, I was just so overwhelmed with, with joy that, that God had, uh, you know, kind of listened to our prayers and brought us back together in a sense. And so getting married um, in Tennessee was one of the best, you know, moments of, of both of our lives. Uh, that's incredible. I mean, what a, what a testament to, to your faith. To, I remember that time. I remember talking with both of you guys through that time and, um, you know, the, the test that that was. Um, I mean, really, that's a, not to be too cheesy, but that's, that's a test turning into a testimony of faith right there. And um, that's really cool to hear you talk about that. So let's transition over to kids a little bit now. Uh, so like we said, you've got, you got two, you've got Carson, who's two. You got uh, baby Miller. She's a couple months old now. Um, she's a little one. Are you guys going to have more kids? Do you think, or are we going to, we're going to call it it too? Not, to, not to totally to... put you on the spot here. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that. <laughs> Courtney's not watching this. We can, we can, uh, we can cut this if we need to. <laughs> <laughs> we're trying to get two, two kids figured out before we think about three. Um, no, but it, it's, it's such a great time. Like, you know, life, you know, you know, this life can be chaotic with multiple kids, it's the best kind of chaotic you could possibly imagine. Um, but, you know, we're sitting at the dinner table and we've got, you know, Carson to my right, you know, Courtney might be having to feed or hold Miller while she's trying to eat. I can't even imagine the next chair beside me, there being another kid at our dinner table right now. Um, but, you know, obviously we're, we're not, we're not ruling it out. Um, you know, we feel blessed that we've been able to grow our family in the way that we have. So if down the road, if, if we feel like, you know, God is telling us that it's, it's time to continue to uh, be fruitful and, and multiply, you know, we will, we will open that with, with, um, with open arms. There you go. Yeah. We're, we're thinking through that now we're, we're working on, on number three and figuring out what it's going to look like to, to play zone defense instead of man to man. And I'm a little nervous about it, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, so how did, how did Carson being born um, change things for you? And I'll let you kind of take that. You can take that either, you know, personally, like with your marriage, how it changed things or professionally, or, or you can, you can loop it all together, but I'll let you take that one where you want to go with it. Yeah. I think the, the, the best way to look at it is it, first of all, you know, and I, a lot of dads will agree with me, it changes everything, right? So it's not just one area of your life that this changes, um, I can remember just the day that he's born and putting him, um, taking him home, putting it, putting him in his car seat and driving home from the hospital. It's an instant change in the way you think. Um, it's an instant sense of uh, maybe paranoia. Like I'm driving home, you know, 10 miles an hour <laughs> and I'm, I'm scanning the road, looking at cars and I'm like, I'm not trusting the cars around me. It has nothing to do with, with my driving skills, but you're just so, uh, there's a sense of protection that just overcomes you. And it's not just with, you know, your, your kids that have just been born, but it's, it's your entire family. You're very protective over your, your wife and your family as a whole. Um, 
And I can remember also, you know, that was really the first time in my life that I didn't want to go to work. It wasn't because I don't love my job. I still love my job. But I can remember, you know, it's 6 a.m. and I'm, I'm getting ready to leave for work and I'm sneaking in his room and just to lean over in his crib and just give him a kiss goodbye. And I'm kind of standing there over him. And I just have this feeling of not wanting to leave the house to go to work. You know, I, I really it's a feeling of wanting to be there for him, you know, when he wakes up and, and to be honest, that, that really doesn't ever go away. And so, you know, that, that's a change that happened for life. Yeah. That's, that's something I can, I can relate to for sure. And that's something I think about still, I mean, Mason's now four, our youngest Brooks is two. It's still something I think about every day when I leave the house, it's um, you know, I, I love what I do for a living and, and, and I'm fortunate to be in the position I'm, that I'm in. And um, it's this weird dichotomy of, of wanting to be there for them literally all the time, but then also wanting to, you know, go out and hustle and, and provide the best life that you can for them. So I know it's, it's definitely, it's definitely a balance. Um, but I appreciate you sharing that. You know, I think it is something that as dads, I don't know how you could have kids and, and not, um, not feel that in some capacity. So right. I think just kind of normalizing that, that emotion is, is, uh, is awesome. Um, so let's see, what is the, uh, tell me a little bit about what you would say is the hardest part about being a dad for you right now. And maybe that ties into what we just talked about. Yeah, it, it definitely tie into that. Um, just, you know, it's the balance of, of wanting to be around more. Um, and, but I think that the challenge maybe with being a dad too is um, like just staying in the moment. You know, I think it's just human nature to think about the future and down the road. And so your, your, your mind start, the wheels in your mind start turning about, conversations that you might have to have with your son or daughter, you know, when they're 10, 12, 16 years old. And so in, and my mind just goes crazy about that type of stuff. And so you kind of just have to, you know, tap the brakes and, and get yourself to be, uh, stay in the moment, just appreciate where they are right now. Because what I've realized is that they go through the stages of, of, of development just so quick, you know, Miller is, is going on four months now and she's, changed so much since she's been born you know she's smiling she's laughing um, she's getting to where she's rolling over now and so you don't want to be too focused on the future that you forget about and you miss the great moments that are happening right now in front of your eyes yeah it's funny you say that I was thinking about that the other day my my parents watched our kids for for a long weekend and um, even it seemed like in three or four days you know I drop them off to when I pick them up They've got their vocabularies twice as big. They're wanting to do all these new things. And it's uh, it's crazy and scary and humbling how fast time time goes um, and how quickly they develop. Uh, what's your favorite part about being a dad? Um, you know, maybe I, I would say probably just them, I guess our kids like relying on me, you know, just that, that sense of like, you know, they need me. Mm -hmm. to, so to to draw a quick parallel, you know, at Mississippi State University, they can find another strength coach. Okay. If I have <laughs> tomorrow, if I leave tomorrow, they will find another strength coach and they will be fine. You know, my kids have one dad, my, my wife has one husband. And so that is the biggest responsibility you can ever have in your life. And so just uh, owning that responsibility and, 
um, having that really is the best part about it. You know, I love being relied on and, and it goes back to um, that sense of purpose in your life is, is just so much bigger than yourself. No doubt. I, uh, I don't think I could say it any better myself. I'd echo everything that, uh, that you just said. Um, so with everything that you do have going on, is there anything that you do to, um, I guess maybe to, to help yourself stay present with the family, with the time that you have them, maybe not necessarily to get more time with them, but to stay present in the moment. Um, is there anything that you do, uh, maybe boundaries that you set up, maybe it's leaving your phone in the car, something like that. Anything that you do that uh, kind of helps you stay in the moment with your family? Yeah. You know, the biggest thing is when I get home, whatever time it may be, if, it, if it's 5 PM, if it's 6 PM, if it's 7 PM, um, as soon as I get home, I change clothes and I'm going to, I'm going to play with Carson and see if there's anything that Courtney needs. That's just, there's not going to be, I'm not going to take that me time and sit down on the couch and just try to get, you know, decompress and get my mind right. Um, I'm just going to go straight and just straight to the kids and, and what Courtney needs. And that's something where um, if you just jump in all, all in right then and there, you're, you're, um, you're giving them your best, you know, while you're there, you're just maximizing the time. You know, if I get home at 7 PM and, we've got to put Carson to bed at eight 30 or nine, you know, I'm only going to be able to spend a couple hours with him. I'm going to make sure I maximize that time with my wife and kids. That's awesome. Um, so Colin, you've, you've had a lot of success in, in your career and in your life. Um, you have an amazing marriage and, and have some beautiful kids. Um, you know, you're a strength and conditioning coach at, at a, at a, SEC school and have been for several years now um, and at a really young age as well. Um, and I know, I, I believe you've got a, a, an award named after you as well, um, and a leadership award back to your Carson Newman days. Um, so you, you've lived a lot of life in, in how old are you, 31, 32? 30. 30, okay. I'm, yeah. I'm, get, I'm getting ahead of myself here. So you've done a lot in 30 years. What are you the most proud of uh, in your life so far? Um, you know, definitely you, you look at like our lives now, like where we are, um, you know, we're not even halfway done, hopefully, you know, <laughs> we, so, you know, I just look at it, you know, I, I may have done, done some things or you, you mentioned an award or, or, um, working at a, a SEC school, like those things really truly don't matter, um, at the end of the day. So I think the, the thing that I value most and that I'm most proud of is just um, just who I am, I guess, as a just as a as a person, hopefully to other people. Um, I hope that I can be that selfless person that um, that is a great son, a great brother, a great husband, a great father. And uh, the thing that I'm most proud of, too, is that I know I'm not done yet. And so, like, I know I'm not a finished product. I'm going to continue to have that growth mindset. And so I'm very optimistic that, um, you know, some people hit, you know, like a midlife crisis or whatever you want to call it. And they think that they've lived their best life. And I just feel so confident and, and optimistic that there's still the best is still to come right now feels great. You know, growing a family and doing what I do professionally, it's been uh, very re rewarding but I still think that there's the, the, the best is yet to come. I love that perspective. The best is yet to come. Um, so we'll start to wind down here. Um, I got just a couple 
uh, last couple questions for you. Um, so where you are today, today, looking forward, the best is yet to come. Are there any mentors that you're, uh, that you kind of look up to maybe guys that you follow on social media? Um, anybody that stands out as kind of a role model in your life right now? Yeah, I think, you know, we live in a world where, you know, it's a social media world. It's an influencer type of world. And so that, that can be a good and a bad thing, right? So we have access to these great mentors all across the world through social media. And you, you kind of build a, uh, a screen relationship with them by watching them, uh, watching their videos or listening to their podcasts. You know, they'll never know you, uh, and obviously, unless you get the opportunity to meet them. Uh, but you can learn and grow from them. And so I think I have a lot of those. Um, and you just have to be careful with uh, being very selective and going through the process of who you follow at this point. Um, and I think, you know, I try to make sure I follow men, um, both coaches and, and motivational speakers and, and authors that are, you know, their values align with mine, um, that they've built their life on a foundation of of faith and a foundation of the, the growth mindset that we've talked about so much. Um, and I think just to name a couple specific ones, you know, guys that come to mind that maybe you follow from afar, um, you know, John Gordon is a big one. We mentioned Simon Sinek before, um, Tim Ferriss, um, you know, guys like that, uh, Louis Giglio, um, you know, you, you kind of, you build your, your, uh, your repertoire uh, with a little bit of diversity, right? Some guys that are maybe in different fields, um, you know, some in coaching, some are authors, some are maybe ministers and pastors. Um, and so those are a few of the, the specific people that I follow. Awesome. Very cool. Uh, I, I follow a handful of those guys myself. Those are definitely some, uh, some good ones. Um, last, last real question here. Um, you know, we're both in a position where, where our kids are young, um, but you know, they're going to grow up, we're going to grow old um, and we're going to move on at some point. What do you want your kids to remember about their father? What do you want them to uh, think about when they think about dad? Um, you know, hopefully I can continue to, to live this in my own life and that my kids can say about me, um, you know, down the road, they can say, my dad gave this life everything he had. You know, he gave us everything, every every ounce of energy he had. He gave his marriage um, every ounce of energy he had. And then I hope also um, they can say, you know, our mantra in our house uh, is how you do anything is how you do everything. I want them to, to be able to say that about my life, that, that I did that. That's awesome. Great answer. Uh, well, brother, I mean, this has been awesome. This has been a great conversation. Um, where can people follow you, find you on social? I know you don't post too, too much, uh, but I'm probably going to start pushing you to post a little bit more just because you have so much great stuff to share. And I love your insights. I love seeing everything that you've got going on. Um, if people are going to follow you, check out more about you, uh, where can they follow you? Yeah. Um, they can follow me at, uh, on Twitter and Instagram at MSU coach crane. Awesome. Awesome. Good stuff. Well, man, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks so much for, for opening up and, and being vulnerable and honest. I know that's sometimes harder for, for us as guys to do. Um, but I think we, uh, I think you shared some really amazing things today. I took a ton of notes and, uh, 
I'm excited to run this one back and listen to it myself. So thanks for coming Absolutely. on, brother. We'll, uh, I hope to have, have you on again soon. Thanks for having me. All right, man. All right, everybody. That's it. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't already, do me a huge favor. Subscribe to the show or leave us a rating and review. We can't thank you enough for your support. Until next time, remember to love and lead from the front. See ya.